This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. celebrating the 22 people who got baptized last week. Thank you for being an amazing church that came out and celebrated with us. It was really awesome. And so, uh, actually, if you weren't here, because this is your first time, we want to welcome you. You are truly our honored guest today. If you are here for the very first time at Purpose Church, can you help us welcome them today? We're glad you are here, and when you came in, you received a worship guide, and inside your worship guide, there is a connection card, and we'd love for you to just take a moment and fill that out, and actually for everybody, even if it's not your first time, on the other side of that, there's a place for prayer requests, uh, praise reports, our prayer team gets all of these cards, and so however we can come alongside you in your walk with Jesus, let us know, and then when you leave, you can take that card, and on your way out, our team will have buckets, and you'll just drop it in the bucket on your way out today, but we just would love to connect with you, and uh, however we can walk with you, that is what we are here for, and so we're so glad you're here today. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kelly, and my husband Lynn and I have the great honor and privilege of pastoring this church. It is our favorite church. It is one we love a lot, and so we're glad that you are here. Today's message is titled, Why the Church is the Hope of the World. Why the church is the hope of the world. And so for me personally, when it comes to being a fan, I'm not the best fan. People are like, are you a dog person or a cat person? I'm like, I really don't like animal hair anywhere on me ever. So probably not really a fan of either. Uh, When it comes to sports teams, uh, I go for Texas. I don't care what the sport is. I'm going to go for Texas. Other than that, I'm a fan of you. Like, what team are you going for? Tell me. I'll root for you. Unless they're playing against Texas or unless it's Oklahoma. I'm going for who's ever playing against Oklahoma and whoever, whatever Texas team is playing. Those are kind of my, my parameters when it comes to being a fan. Uh, I'm a fan of you. I'm a fan of the church. I'm a fan of the local church. I'm a fan of the dream team. The dream team is actually my favorite team. Anytime there's a team night, I'm like, I'm going to rep TPC because TPC's got a dream team. They're the dreamiest team. I'm a fan of the dream team. I was meeting with the lead team of Awanas, our uh, midweek kids program this week, and I was like, I'm just a huge fan of you guys. Y'all have taken this program and launched it for dozens and dozens of kids. They're like pioneering ministry that is life-changing and faith-forming for kids. That's what I'm a fan of. We are fans of the local church. And I'm not a fan of the local church because it's nostalgic. I'm not a fan of the local church because I grew up in church. I'm not a fan of the local church because I needed an alternative career. I'm not a fan of the church because y'all are actually our third born. Bradley's our fourth. I don't know if y'all knew that. The year we planted the church, um, I was pregnant, like four weeks pregnant. And we were like, let's go, Jesus. This is going to be a good year. So birth to church and then a baby. So we had um, an eight-month old church, a newborn, a two-year-old, and a (laughs) four-year-old. Didn't get a lot of sleep those years, like I'm trying to do math in my brain. It's all a little fuzzy. But I'm not a fan of the church because it's where I discovered that I actually love teaching the Bible, love kids. I'm not a fan of the church because it's it's always made a place for our gifts and talents. Or I mentioned a few weeks ago that uh, Landon got to use his musical gifting in the church. How many of you know the bars would have loved to have snatched up that talent? 
but it was the church that made room for it. There's a lot of reasons to be a fan of the church, but what I'm sharing with you today, I'm going to share with you four reasons why the church is the hope of the world. But we really believe that the local church mobilized is the hope of the world. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I also am a fan of the church. Well, welcome to the church pep rally. You can shout it out. Cheer it on. You may be here because your life has been changed by the church. The capital C church. I'm not talking about just the purpose church. I'm talking about the capital C church, the global church of Jesus Christ. So we're going to get to talk about why, that, why the church is the hope of the world. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the church is perfect. I'm not saying that church leaders are perfect. I'm not saying that church people are better than not church people. In fact, it's usually the opposite, if you know what I mean. Even biblically, Jesus was always going at church people. He was always there for the sinner. He was always there for the lost. He was always there for the one who was far from him and mostly frustrated with the people who were close to God. So I'm not saying that church people are better. And the thing about church is that it is made up of people. The church is not a building, though this church would like one. (laughs) But we have this keen sense of, a, of just knowing that the church is not a building, that the church is a people, that we are the church, and that together we are the hope of the world. And the thing about it, though, is that when it's people, you're going to get all the things that come with people. The way we say it around our house is people make mistakes, and sometimes we people really hard. Sometimes we people real well, you know what I mean, like with the mistakes, our selfishness, offending people. We can people real hard. And the same is true within the church. We can people real hard even within the church. So I'm not saying the church is perfect. I'm not saying the church always gets it right. But I am saying, according to scripture, and we're going to unpack it, why the church is the hope of the world. And so if you're here for the first time and you're like, I'm not even sure what I think about church people. Well, you're probably right and valid in your thoughts about us. I just want to affirm that in you. If you're looking for a church or you're giving church a second chance, I hope that today inspires you and compels you to keep coming and keep digging in and keep gleaning and keep learning and keep finding out. Keep finding community. Keep finding relationships. Keep finding freedom. Keep finding God. Keep finding hope. Keep coming and you will keep finding out. I want to share with you a scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. This is a letter that Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus. And he's saying a couple of things to them, but he's talking about the church. So I feel like this is also a letter to us today. So are you ready to read some of your own mail? All right, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says this. It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Isn't it a beautiful thing that God has had a hope for us when he called us? That there's a hope for the church? It says, what are the, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. This is our God. This is our God. You ready? Verse 21, it says, far above all rule and authority, far above all of it in power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the one to come and he put all things under his feet 
all things, all the things that we're even praying for this morning, all things that you're facing, all things that can cause despair, all things that can cause depression or anxiety or concern or the economy or the government or terrorism. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, to the church. That's good news for us today. He didn't give it to the government. He didn't give it to a people group. He didn't give it to anybody, but he gave it to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the God we get to worship. So if you're new here and you're like, what are these people doing during worship? This is, this is whose name we're lifting high. This is whose name we can't help but worship and celebrate and magnify. The message translation says it this way. It says, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. And the church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. So as God is looking out, it's not the world and then the church. It's the church and then the world. The world is peripheral to the church. When God looks at the world and he sees that the world is lost and far from him and he's wanting to reach the world, it's going to be through the church that he makes that happen. That's why the world is peripheral to the church. The church is in his forefront. The the church is what he's looking towards because it's going to be through that that he reaches the world. It says the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. So how 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 is the church the hope of the world? The first thing is through the generational, geographical magnitude of the church. I think that if, if we're not aware of where reality is with data and statistics and numbers, we can get engrossed in a very secular narrative that says the church is dying, the church is losing people, the church is no longer relevant, the church is, you name it. And it's just simply not true. The church is alive, it is well, it is growing, it is thriving, and there is data and statistics that back that up. If you'd like a deeper dive on this, Brandon Stewart was here back in September and walked through some of these statistics, but not all of you were there, so I'm going to share some of them. If you want a a deeper dive into this aspect of it, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that message. But at the time of Christ, Christianity was a frail movement, and within 300 years, it overtook the Roman government and spread and grew to 5 million people. It became the largest known religion, and here we are 2,000 years later, and the kingdom of God is in every nook and cranny of the earth. There are... 380,000 Christian churches in the U.S. And anywhere from 3 million to 20 million Christian churches worldwide. And the reason that there is a range there is because it's impossible to know every underground church and every church that's meeting secretly and we'll never fully know. But, but the studies show it's anywhere from 3 to 20 million churches. There are 50,000 more churches in the U.S. today than there were 30 years ago. There are 44 million more Christians now than there was in 2022, just in in a year. So we're not talking historical like in the days of Jesus. We're talking now. There's an estimated of 230 million Christians in the U.S. and 2.6 billion worldwide. 
There are a billion more Christians on the earth than there are vehicles on the planet. A billion more Christians. So all that to say that the church is strong in places that we don't even think about. And because of that, because the church is strong, it is the hope of the world. The church is absolutely essential. And I may still have some COVID trauma from all that. Watching the government declare who's essential and who's not, while the church was not on that list. I still have some angst about it. Because I know how deeply essential the church is and the hope that it brings people. The global presence and the continued growth of the church translates to hope for the world. So just the sheer generational, geographical magnitude of the church is huge. And it is alive and it is growing. The second reason the church is the hope of the world is because of the greatness of the gospel. The greatness of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the, the hope that we have in Jesus, the salvation we have in Jesus. It is that Jesus was born as a human and lived a sinless life, completely sinless. And then he took on our sin, took on our shame. He shed his innocent blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He died a death that we should have died. He paid the price that was ours to pay so that we can be made right with God. So when God looks at us, he sees us through the precious and perfect blood of Jesus. And after he dies on the cross, he rose again, conquering death and conquering hell. It's the greatness of the gospel. It's the amazing grace that found a wretch like me and saved me. It's when I had no hope, I have hope through the gospel. It's when I didn't have a purpose, I have a purpose through the gospel. It's that I have joy that I cannot describe, peace that is unexplainable. It gives me hope when there's a valley, hope when there's a dark spot. Hope beyond myself, there is hope for eternity. The gospel assures us that Jesus' victory over the world has given us everything we need for a life of godliness in Christ. The, the, the gospel gives us strength in our weakness, life in abundance. It assures us that God is with us, that God is for us. So just sharing the greatness of the gospel to say that if you're going to give your allegiance to something, give it to Jesus. Give it to the gospel. The gospel is by far the heavyweight champion of hope for the world. It is in the gospel. There's nothing that even comes close to its unparalleled wisdom given to us in God's word. It is unmatched in its promises. It's unmatched in its power. It's unmatched in its healing. It's unmatched in its salvation and in its forgiveness, its ability to restore and redeem us. It is unmatched in its greatness. The third reason the church is the hope of the world is because of the unparalleled wisdom of Judeo-Christian values. And studies show that young people especially are hungry for stability and for sanity. Studies show that the more that young people see the wreckage of people's lives who, who have gone before them and rejected Judeo-Christian values and the wreckage from that, that, that they're craving something more. They see the ruins from the, the no boundaries lifestyle. They see the wreckage and the ruins from where people who live their lives according to no absolute truth. They see how that looks and they want something different. There is a hunger for biblical Christian values. And the reality is that the wreckage is only going to get worse over time. 
the wreckage that we see is going to be more over time because the seeds that are currently being sown in our society from such a godless, valuesless life, those seeds are being sown now that will reap a harvest in the future. And so there's no time like now for us to embrace and live out our Judeo-Christian values. Because they're going to become more attractive to people the more they see the wreckage and the ruins of people's lives around them. So here's what I mean by Judeo-Christian values. These are the beliefs and the teachings that are common to both Judaism and Christians. Part of our Old, Te Old Testament is part of the Hebrew Bible. It may be in a different order, but it is the same Bible, the same text, the same values. That's why they're called Judeo-Christian values. Margaret Thatcher said this of of Judeo-Christian values. She says, the truths of the Judeo-Christian tradition are infinitely precious, not only because they are true, but also because they provide the moral impulse which alone can lead to that peace for which we all long. So if there's ever been a time for Christians to reconnect with our Christian values, it's now. If there's ever been a time for us to talk about and to teach and to impart to our children our Christian values, it is now. In fact, there's, there are lots of modern Christian churches that have moved away from their Christian values. And the reality is that the more the world moves away from Christian values, the worse it gets. The world is upside down. It is full of wreckage. It's full of devastation and brokenness. It is lost. It has lost its way. And the more that people are living in the fruit from that, the, the more attractive and desirable our Christian values will become. And so I hope students in the room, I hope you hear me today. And I hope you see the, the, the goodness and the value in our biblical values in such a way that makes you proud to live by them. In a way that makes you proud to say, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, these are my values. And you can hold your head up high for that. I think there's a lot of people, uh, maybe even in the narrative culturally, that assume that our Christian faith is a baseless faith. That it is full of, of fluff and lacking substance to it. And if I'm honest, I think that in many cases, it is because Christians have failed to uphold their basic Christian values. The slippage in a biblical worldview is not the world's fault. The slippage in a biblical worldview or a biblically informed conscience within the, within the church is because the church has slipped. And so it's time for us to reconnect as a church, as Christians, with our Christian values. Houses that are built on sand will not stand. But the hope that we provide for the world, the hope we as a church Yes, this church, but the capital C church, the hope the church provides for the world is not only a hope for eternal life, but hope for a better life. Right. Knowing that God's way is the best way. Right. So there are many Judeo-Christian values that we could talk about. I'm going to share seven of them today. Understanding that God's way is the best way. That God's love is not separate from God's law. And this is not a message on legalism like, hey, let's open to Leviticus and follow all of God's laws. But we need to know that it is not separate from those laws. That the boundaries and the lifestyle and the ways in which God has called us to live are to produce the best life possible for us. So the first one is, is that there is one God. 
The Old Testament God is the same God of the New Testament. It's the same God we worship today. There is one God. Number two, God created the world and everything in it. Number three, human beings are created in the image of God. And because of that, every life is precious. Every life has value. Every life matters. And so it does not matter your gender, race, or ethnicity. You have value because you were created in the image of God. Number four, the nuclear family is the foundation of society. That there's man, woman, and their children at the foundation of society. God ordains this to be such. That God created male and he created female to raise their children to impart to them biblical Christian values. That we will take these values and impart them to the next generation. So that the next generation can impart it to their children. So that they can have the best life possible. Number five. Without God, there are no moral truths, only opinions. Moral truths are the same for all people. Number six. We are a product of original sin, which means that we are basically sinners in need of a Savior, which brings us back to the greatness of the gospel. I love to believe the best in people, and I think we should, but it needs to be within the context of understanding that we are all sinners. And that without God's laws and God's ways and God's boundaries, if we are left up to our own, we are a hot mess. We would not choose right. We will not choose good. We need God. We need God's boundaries. We, we need true north. We need God to show us the way. We have speed limits, right? Because we would go over that limit. We've got to be kept in boundaries. And number seven is the world functions according to a divine order and people benefit to the extent that we live in alignment with that order. We're being told today, and I want to speak to the tension, even as I read through these, I can feel the tension, is that we, we live in a world where society tells us that our values aren't nice. Let's just talk about being nice for a moment. Because God's laws and God's love, they're not inseparable. And I want to speak to those of you in here who even, like, you feel that tension of, like, this, these don't feel kind. These don't feel nice. And I, I just want to acknowledge, like, I get it. I get that the way it feels. I get the narrative. I get the rhetoric around this. But I want to challenge you with this thought is that the opposite is actually true. Now let's think about it in terms of parenting, what a good, loving parent does. A good, loving parent doesn't bring, bring boundaries to their children because they don't love their children or they don't want to be nice. Does a, does a parent bring in boundaries to a child concerned about the child's feelings and their interpretation of what's nice or not nice? Was it nice or not nice when a parent stops their child from running into the pool? We've got three kiddos, and all of them felt like they could swim before they could actually swim. And so when we see our children as toddlers running towards the pool, I'm not really concerned about whether or not they're going to think I'm nice when I snatch them up however I need to snatch them up. You know, sometimes you grab a toe, you grab by the ankle, you grab by the elbow. Sometimes they're chubby chins, like you just you grab a kid. We had one baby like born with chins. 
I read an article the other day that was talking about the, this, this overly emphasized message to children to be nice. To be nice, to be nice, to be nice. And what the article was saying is that oftentimes children are so, like, in, like have this, they have this message pushed on them so hard that it's at the cost of their own personal boundaries. So we're more concerned about people's feelings and making sure that they interpret us as nice than we are about holding a boundary for somebody because we are trying to tiptoe around other people's subjective feelings. And that's, that's backwards. And I'm never saying that we shouldn't be nice. Kindness is a, is a, a fruit of the Spirit. Christians should be the kindest people. Christians should be the nicest people. We should be patient. We should be loving. Kind to one another. Generous. The most. And we are responsible as Christians, as we uphold our our biblical values, to do it in a way that is not off-putting to the people around us. We have to be thoughtful. We have to be kind. We can't weaponize scripture and beat people up with it and, and just be a jerk. It's not a license for that. But what I am saying is that we cannot tiptoe around what other people think is nice or not as they run off into a ditch with their lives. Because that's not ultimately nice. So there's a tension. But God's love and God's laws are because they're the same. It is because he loves us. The funniest movie in the world to me that my kids ask, like, if we can live this out all the time is Yes Day. Let me talk to you about Yes Day. I'm like, we'll do a yes day after we do it my way first. My version of yes day is you say yes. This is me to my children. That you say yes every time I ask you to do something. But like just the first time. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Not yes, ma'am. I don't care. Just say yes. Just say yes. Just say yes and then do it. I'm like, would this be sci-fi? Would it be fantasy? I don't know. But this is the kind of movie that I would go see. Is where parents say something, kids just say yes. (laughs) But just the concept of the movie Yes Day, and it's a fine movie. I'm not hating on the movie. It's just, it's, it's just it, I think it shows a worldview of what's nice. And anybody who's a parent knows that you don't concern your child's feelings when you bring in boundaries for them. A good parent's going to say, um, this is the way that you should go. This is who you're going to hang out with. This is who you're not going to hang out with. This is where you should hang out. These are the toys that you can play with. These are the toys that you can't play with because not all toys are safe. These boundaries are loving. So God brings in his ways for us because his ways produce the best life possible. And we see that when we live within our biblical values, it brings the best life possible. Otherwise, our kids are eating Oreos every day. And no teacher deserves to teach a child who had Oreos for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Teachers, where you at? Y'all don't need to teach those children who've had Oreos all day long. It is a parent's job to say, hey, you should eat some vegetables. You should have some protein in your diet. Parents, you are the only people on the planet who are really concerned that your children have a nutritious, healthy meal. The grandparents don't care. (laughs) They come home with giant lollipops. But as a parent, we care. God is a loving parent, and he shows us the way that we should go. He says, don't go that way. That's not good for you. Don't go that way. That's a ditch. It will ruin your life. This is the way that you should go, and we see that within our biblical values. There's a lot of us who will, we will say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but we struggle to believe like Jesus. There's a gap here where we can say yes to Jesus, and we can bring Jesus a little bit closer to our lives while still taking instruction from Drake, Nicky McNasty, 
CNN, Fox, CDC. So we're bringing Jesus in a little bit closer, but we're still getting instruction over here. So we, we, we believe in Jesus, but we haven't yet learned to believe like Jesus. And the gap there is discipleship. Where, yes, we're going to champion salvations all day long. In fact, when we champion salvations, we join with all of heaven that rejoices over one sinner coming home. So, yes, we're going to champion salvation all day, every day. But there's another step. There's another step to saying, yes, I'm going to believe in Jesus. Now we have to learn how to live like Jesus and to take on the values that Jesus has. And the only way that you can do that is through discipleship. And this is why we are so intentional about next steps for you. So maybe it's growth track tonight. Maybe it's joining a small group. Maybe it's baptism. But the next, all of our next steps, whatever they are, they are designed to help you become a Christ follower and to live like Jesus lived, to believe like Jesus, to adopt not just the ideas of Jesus, but the ways of Jesus also. Joshua 1.8 says it this way. It says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, it, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So it's not that you're without suffering. It's not that you're without hardship, but it's that there's purpose and comfort and strength through those things. This is why we have small groups. This is why we do midweek kids programs with the, like Awana. I, I uh, popped into one of the kids' classrooms, and one of the kids was asking her teacher, well, how do you know what is truth? This was a real-life conversation I popped in on. She said, how do you know what is truth? And the teacher said, well, you're going to find it in God's word. It's important that we teach these values to our kids that they know where to go to find truth so they can avoid the pain and the wreckage of the ruins that come from living without it. This is why we have small groups like Rooted. It is a discipleship small group that teaches you the ways of Jesus. Now that you've accepted Jesus, this is how you walk it out. We have a group for that. It's called Rooted. In fact, a lot of our small groups are designed to help you learn how to live a, as a disciple for Jesus. Matthew 28 says it this way. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we do get to come together as a church and celebrate those decisions made. But let's read the rest of the verse. There's a part two. It says, teaching them to observe some of what I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe the ones that are culturally, culturally mostly nice. Because y'all know, nobody would have gotten canceled faster than Jesus. Jesus, if he were here, he'd be canceled so fast you couldn't even say cancel culture. But it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I think that Jesus knew this was going to be tough for us over time as culture and society changes. Because he gives us this next part. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of age. So when the world says, it's not nice to say that. God is with you. When you're trying to live out biblical values in a world that is telling you and rejecting these values, God is with you in those moments. We see lots of examples of this with Jesus in the New Testament. Lots of moments where Jesus encounters a sinner and then changes their life and then urges them to change their lifestyle also. 
there are many moments like this. The one that comes to mind the most is the woman at the well, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. She's brought out. The text says that she's naked and she's thrown before this group of men and they're crying out for her to be stoned. And we see Jesus who advocates on the behalf of the most marginalized in society, marginalized because of her ethnicity, her gender, you name it. She was on the outskirts of society, but Jesus stood in the gap for her. And called her to him, and then he says, so he rescues her, and then he said, go, sin no more. Knowing that if she could adopt her life to his ways, it would produce the best life possible. The fourth reason the church is the hope of the world is because God chose the church to expand his kingdom on the earth. The church is God's idea. The church is not human's idea, it is not man's idea, it is not government's idea, the church is God's idea. The church is also not the same as the kingdom. So it is one thing to say, yes, I find God in nature, I do too. But if you want to help bring the kingdom to earth, you've got to be a part of his church because they go together. It is the church by which God will bring the kingdom to earth. The kingdom and the church are eternally connected in God's purpose. So you can't say, hey, I'm, I'm for God and I'm for the kingdom, but I'm not for the church because they go together. Matthew 16 says it this way. He's talking to Peter. He says, I tell you, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church because it is the church by which God will bring the kingdom. God has purposed his church for that. God says here in his word that his church is indestructible, invincible, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I know that there is is a, a... temptation to sometimes pull away from saying, I go to church. And I hope that when you see that God is for you, even through the biblical values, that you can hold your head up high in that. We've, we have been intentional from the very beginning to make our kids proud of the fact that they are a purpose kid, that they are a church kid. We want our kids to rep it proudly. And I've heard y'all loud and clear about your desire for merch. We got it coming for you. But that we, we bring out kids stuff too so they can be proud of the fact that they belong to God's great church. They know that God's church is invincible, that God is for the church, that God has a plan and a purpose for his church. And they get to be a part of that. And we get to be a part of that as well. And the world is hungry for the truth that we carry. The world is hungry for the the truth of a better life and the values that we've talked about this morning. And so maybe in our response time, which if this is your first time here, we're going to call our prayer partners down in a minute. And we end every service with a response time where you can respond to the word that you heard today. Whatever God is calling you to do, you, you can make that commitment to him. And I wonder if for some of you, your response time moment is to say, I just need to be filled with courage to stand up for truth because I know the people around me are hungry for it and craving it and desiring it. Would I stand up boldly for that? 
Maybe today this is a moment where you come down and you are, you are praying that you will be filled with courage to embrace and to live out our Christian values. I believe that God wants to use us, each and every one of us, to build his great church. So it's not just about being on a team, it's not just about growing a church, but it's about building the church so that we can build people. It's about reaching people so that they can have the best life possible. Proverbs 14 says it this way, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. We are carriers of the knowledge of a better way to life. We get to carry that message. God's word shows us, and this is going to be part of our our next series, it's called Legacy, and we're calling it Planted and Flourishing. When you're planted in God's house, you flourish in life. We see this in in God's word a lot. In fact, one of the scriptures is this, it's Psalm 92, it says, God's word and God's ways lead to, lead us to flourish in life. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. When we're planted, when you're planted, you can grow roots. When you're planted and you grow roots, then you can have fruit that looks like kingdom, that is great and nourishing and sustaining for the people around you. It says they will still bear fruit in old age, and they will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright, he is my rock. I have a testimony I want to share with you today. I've uh, sent a message to the dream team and said, hey, if you want to share any of your testimonies about how the church has impacted your life, share them with us. Because when we adapt our lives to God's ways, it leads to flourishing. When we're planted in God's house, it leads to flourishing. So some of you know and love Ken. I saw him in here earlier. There's Ken. He moved closer. I can see your face now. I couldn't see. He was in the shadows last time. Can y'all go ahead and put that picture of Ken up? Ken sent his testimony in. And I read through it first service, so hopefully I can make it through second service. I'm a sympathy crier. I told Ken, I said, Ken, I cannot bring you up here and like link arms with you because you're a crier. <laughs> but the other part of that is that I'm a crier too. Like if you cry, I'm going to cry. What are we crying about? I'm going to cry with you. <laughs> you need somebody to cry with you, I'm, I'm here for you. But as a church, when we're mobilized, we can be the hope of the world when we're letting God use us to the fullness of how he wants to use us. When we're totally surrendered to God's will for our lives, we can be used to build his great church that brings hope to the world around us. I want to share part of that, uh, part of that fruit with you from Ken's testimony. It says, 2021 through the middle part of 2023 was probably the hardest time I'd ever experienced in my life. The woman I had shared almost 19 years with decided she wanted a divorce, and this turned my world upside down. The last Sunday in October of 2021, I took some time and did what I hadn't done in a very long time. I prayed and spoke with God. I let him know that I would try church again because I knew I was lost and I needed that spiritual guidance. But my stipulation was that if the church I went to didn't reach me spiritually, I was going to end my life. God had other ideas and knew there was purpose in my life to continue living. I Googled and found TPC, read through the church beliefs, and visited the church. To say that changed my life is an understatement. God knew I was going to encounter and continuously deal with devastating situations, so he placed me in a church that would be there to assist me along the way. 
During the next two years, I dealt with several situations that would have broken anyone down. My, at the time, 15-year-old daughter was diagnosed with two eating disorders, attempted suicide, became pregnant, and was enrolled in a mental health facility. I had, close, I had a close friend die in a car accident with his two young children, a handful of friends die from COVID, and a close friend die from an unexpected heart attack at the age of 38. All these situations took a drastic toll on me, but I just kept pushing through. Becoming one of the worship leaders allowed me to let all of the difficulties I was experiencing stop for a moment and allowed me the opportunity to praise through my circumstances. As I felt things were getting better, the month of May 2023 came and led to an almost catastrophic event. After receiving devastating news about certain situations that happened with two of my three girls, I hit my mental breaking point and admitted myself to a psychiatric unit on base. There I took three days to spend time with God and just hear what he'd been trying to tell me all along. For one, he let me know I was stronger than I gave myself credit for. He let me know that things would get better after I went through all these difficult and devastating situations. And he let me know that TPC was the place for me. This church accepted me with all my flaws. You accept us too, Ken, it's mutual. They accepted my teen mom daughter and made sure to check on her every week. And I have never received love from a church like what my family has provided. I'm so thankful I found this amazing church filled with such amazing people. This church is my home. He's saying, I'm planted. I'm planted. He said, and the members are my family. I've made so many lifelong friends, brothers, and sisters. There's planted and there's flourishing. But flourishing comes from a result of being planted. Things are not perfect, but I'm in a much better place now than I was a year ago. The preaching and teaching provided by our pastoral staff is unlike most. Let me just pause. I wasn't going to read this part. It feels a little self-serving for me to be reading this part. So I was going to eliminate it. However, I felt like I should keep it for the purpose of giving testimony to living out the very thing I'm preaching today. He says, they have no problem discussing the most difficult topics that other pastors avoid, but they also back everything up with scripture to ensure it is not being delivered as personal preference or experience. And the same is true for you. This is why I kept it in is because it's also true for you that when you live according to your basic Christian values, it gives testimony to the people around you. Is it always easy? No. Does, does culture always receive it as nice? No. But is it worth standing up for? Yes, every single time. Every single time. Ken ended, his, Ken ended his written testimony by saying, if you need a life-giving church, these are Ken's words, y'all, not mine. If you need a life-giving church, TPC is the place to be. There is nothing like it, and I am so blessed to be a part of it. Can we honor Ken for sharing the story with us? So as we end our time together, here's the invitation is will you be a part of building God's great church? Will you be mobilized in a local church that is a part of the capital C church that is the hope of the world? You carry inside of you the knowledge that the people around you need to live the very best life possible. 
And it's inside of you. It's in your yes to Jesus. It's in your yes to serving. It's in your yes to being planted. And then you experience the flourishing of life. So if you would go ahead and stand with me and if our prayer partners would come down. The call at response time is just that you ask God to speak to you and then you respond how he would have you. For some of you, I'm gonna be honest, it may be repentance for a cynical, negative attitude towards the church. And maybe today's a defining moment where you're saying, I'm going to honor the church as God's plan A. I'm going to honor the church as, as the body of Christ. I'm going to honor the church as the vehicle that God wants to use to bring the kingdom and hope and healing and salvation and restoration and hope to the people around us. Maybe this is a moment for you to say, I'm gonna be all in. I'm gonna come to Growth Track tonight and I'm gonna be a part of building and, and maybe your yes is like, hey, I'm gonna say yes to Jesus today. I'm gonna say yes to the hope of the gospel and you're going to receive him as your Lord and Savior. You can come down and let a prayer partner know that as well. I'm gonna take a moment and pray and I'm just gonna ask God to speak to you how he would have you respond. And I'm gonna ask that you obey the word that you hear from him. If there's an impression on your heart, maybe God will speak something as an idea in your mind. Maybe you need to come down and pray that, that you will be filled with courage to hold your head up high as a Christian who lives out your basic Christian values. Whatever it is, you have an opportunity to respond today. We have communion on the sides that represents the body that was broken for us, the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, that he paid the price that was ours to pay, but he took it upon himself. every hand lifted if you're comfortable if not that's okay too it's just an act of surrender that says God I belong to you Jesus you died on the cross for the for the salvation of of my for the forgiveness of my sins and for my salvation God I believe that you've got a purpose for your great church God I believe that you want to build the church that you want to build people that you want to reach the lost that you care about the world God I don't know how I can be a part of it but God, I'm gonna to commit to it. I'm gonna to commit to building it. I'm gonna to commit to embracing with joy my basic Christian values. God, I'm gonna to commit to embracing them, to living them out, to let them be a testimony to those around me so I can be a beacon of hope to the people around me who are looking for a better way, to the people who are looking for stability, to the people who are looking for sanity. God, would my life be a reflection of that? God, however I can be a part of building your church, Lord, would we say yes to what you call from us? Would we say yes to being a part of building your great church? God, it is your church that you love and you're coming back for. Lord, we love you. We're surrendered to you. Lord, would you just speak to each one of us today what our next step is? God, to every person here, would you speak to them clearly as to how you would have them respond? God, we love you and we thank you for the church. God, we thank you for the relationships that you have brought to us through the church. God, we thank you that, that you have a purpose for us. God, we're surrendered to you in this moment. Would you speak to us today in Jesus' name? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.